Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is the combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and discussing the role of sleep in athletic performance with Dr. Mita Singh. Guys, sleep has really turned into this like sexy, buzzwordy type topic in the world of sport. And Dr. Singh is one of the world leaders in the topic. So after a quick little breakdown of, of her background and how she got into studying sleep, we get right into the idea of what sleep is, like by its definition, and how we can better quantify it to help our athletes with it. Uh, this runs us right into the role of naps and how athletes can utilize this to improve performance and some limitations to look at with those. Uh, she then starts to talk with us a little bit about, you know, a student athlete's social life and how some of these, um, let's just call them party favors for now, can impact the, uh, the potency of their sleep. And then we get into talking about sleep monitors, you know, things that have become really popular, um, their role, how effective they are. What are they actually measuring? How are they measuring it? And are they telling us what they, they should? Um, and then she gets us out with some really, really great, useful key points for us as practitioners to help our athletes use sleep better to perform better. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm really excited about this one. This is this topic we're going to get into today, Doc, is one that's definitely a hot topic and a, and a trigger button for a lot of people here in the high-performance world. So before we get into everything with that, let's talk about real quick, who is Dr. Singh? What, where is she at? How did you get there? And what are we getting into today? So, um, so I'm a sleep medicine doctor. Um, you know, I uh, just for a little background, I did my psychiatry residency at Mayo Clinic and then uh, did a sleep fellowship at the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center, which is now called the Tom Roth Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center in Detroit. And, um, I, you know, I have experience and expertise in 
in working with professional athletes and professional teams, as well as you know college teams and athletes, to basically help them um, you know sleep better, to get good sleep so they can perform better the next day. So then we have to talk from here because that word right there in and of itself, sleep, is one that gets some people's hair to stand on end, gets some people to get really excited. So let's talk about that, Doc. Let's start with that. Like, what exactly is sleep and like, how can we look at it and quantify it and, and help our athletes with it? Okay, so sleep is a normal, it's a physiological state so in which there is perceptual disengagement from the environment and unresponsiveness to the environment, right? So it's, it's reversible, and that's how we can differentiate it from coma, which is a pathological state, right? We, it looks very similar to sleep, but we can, you can't rapidly wake somebody up from a coma. And, and although it looks, you know, as a behavior, it looks like it's, it looks very peaceful and quiet. It's a very active process. And in your brain, uh, you know, your brain waves are very active. They're changing and there are different chemicals that are being secreted at different times. Um, some of the features of sleep are, are, are really, they're quite unique. So there is a species specific posture, which means that I mean, I'll give you an example. For example, if you see a koala bear, a koala bear, you could see sleeping and it's typically hanging off a tree. Human beings, we can't do that. You know, we have to be laying on some, on a, on a surface. There's also a species specific duration. So for example, a, a small brown bat will sleep for about 20 or more hours, while a giraffe will sleep only about half an hour to two hours in a 24-hour period. And we as human beings, we are right in the middle. We need about seven to nine hours of sleep to function well during the day. Um, does that help? Does that answer your question a bit? Well, I think that that's a sensational start. And I think that that's something too. I mean, other than the, the biology lesson when it comes to the different types of, of creatures that are sleeping that are, are things that most people talk about quite often, right? Like getting that seven to nine and things like that. But like, let's talk about student athletes, right? We know these kids are in tough situations with school and all these other things. So on the days that they can't get this sleep, like what are the role of naps? Are they, are they good? Are they a positive thing? Are these things we should get kids to stay away from? Um, and if so, one way or the other, where do you see that and why is that? Well, so you're very right. So student athletes, they wear two hats. They have to, you know, they have to keep up an academic uh, curriculum. They have to be and they have to play. So sleep is easily compromised. So, yeah. Well, you know, if you're not getting and this actually applies to everybody, not just student athletes, if you are not getting enough sleep at night, so if you can't get seven to nine hours of sleep, then a nap is a very good way to make sure that you're getting enough sleep. And so it, it's making up for inadequate sleep at night. And, you know, when I talk about naps, really, there are three characteristics of naps that you want to you want to pay attention to. The first one is length, right? The kind, you know, and, and based on length, there are three, again, three more kind of naps. The, fir uh, the first is a power nap, which is between 15 to maybe 20, 25 minutes long. And uh, you wake up from light sleep, so you don't feel groggy after you nap. 
after you wake up and it gives you enough energy and alertness for the next few hours. The second length of a nap is about 30 to 35 minutes in which you get a little bit, you, you may get stage two sleep, which is slightly deeper sleep. And so it's more restorative. And the third kind of nap is the granddaddy of naps in which you sleep a full sleep cycle, which is about 90 minutes. And um, when you when you wake up, you know, you, you might feel a little groggy, but it really does. Uh, you, it's really restorative. Now, the one kind of nap that you don't want to get is if you wake up between 45 to 60 minutes after a nap, because you then wake up from deep sleep and you're more likely to be groggy. So that's that's the length of the nap. The second thing is the timing of the nap. You want to make sure you nap in the early afternoon, which is where there's a natural dip in your alertness. And you also don't want to nap too close to your bedtime because that might take away from your sleep drive that helps you sleep at night. And um, and finally, I mean, you know, they're, they're planned naps or unplanned naps. So if you know, if you know you didn't get enough sleep at night and you're tired and sleepy, you might plan to take a short nap because especially if you knew you were going to drive afterwards or if you had, you know, an important game in the evening. Um, and then, of course, the unplanned nap is what has happened to many, many people is when you're sitting down and you're watching TV or sitting quietly in the dark or at, at your desk, uh, you might fall asleep. So I guess bottom line is napping is good, except for maybe two circumstances. First is if you have problems falling asleep or staying asleep at night, then a nap is a bad thing because then it'll take away from your sleep drive and um, it, it worsens that insomnia that you may have at night. And the second thing is that you don't want to do it too late at night. Um, so the lateness of the hour is bad. I mean, for example, I don't want athletes to sleep, to take a nap within two hours of game time, because if they if they wake up and they're groggy, it's going to, inter, you know, it's going to affect their performance. Yeah. And I think that that's something that hits a lot of us in college athletics, especially those of us in basketball is we have a shoot around and a pregame meal and they've got a few hours and a lot of these kids want to go take a nap. And really that might not be the best thing for them. Well, uh, well, I, I would say that a nap at that time is not a bad thing as long as it's not too long and as long as it's not too close. You don't, your wake up from the nap is not too close to your actual game time. You know, if, you're, if your athletes have gone to bed really, really late and they've woken up early for that morning shoot about, then they need that nap, right? So it's, it's a balance then. Fantastic. So then looking at that balance and the timing of things, all of that is really important as well, right? Yes. Yes. So, so that, that's an interesting, you know, that's another important aspect of sleep. So, so there sleep, the three important aspects of sleep are quantity, quality, and timing. And I, and, and, you know, between the quantity and quality, I feel that quantity is almost more important than quality. So I'll give you an example. It's like calories. If you're, you know, if you're not going to eat enough calories to even sustain life, I don't really care what the quality of the calories is going to be, right? So you need enough calories to sustain life. Similarly, you need, you know, you need enough. The quantity of sleep should be enough so that you can feel refreshed 
later in quiet um, situations. And then once you're once you're sure that you're getting enough sleep, then you then you want to make sure that the quality of your sleep is good. So you know things like keeping your bedroom cold and dark, uh, making sure that there's not too much noise. Um, that will help with, um, with uh, you know, maintaining the quality of your sleep. And then, then the timing of sleep is also very important. So, um, you know, all of us have a biological clock. And so there's, a, there's actually a, a time where we are biologically inclined to f- fall asleep and then stay asleep. And you want to align your, your sleep time to your biological sleep time. Right. And there's different things that can interrupt that too, right? Like what these kids are doing at night and, you know, different things that they're ingesting, whether it be what they're drinking or whatever else they're doing socially. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, so so I would say, um, you know, there are two, two things to pay attention to. So the first thing is that, um, you know, I'm going to back up and talk a little bit about your circadian clock, which is the clock we have in our brains, which is an intrinsic 24-hour rhythm, and it's synchronized to the night and uh, to the environment, uh, the night and day of the environment by exposure to light. Now, youngsters, so teenagers and young adults, especially college students, they are they are uh, inclined to be night owls, which means that they even if they had the opportunity to stay in bed, they're generally not ready to fall asleep till about midnight or one or two, maybe even later. And then they want to sleep in in the morning, right? And so they're biologically wired to be night owls. And so if you put them into bed at about 10 or 11, they're fighting their biology uh, when they're attempting to fall asleep. So that's one point. The second point is, of course, uh, stimulant or caffeine use. So caffeine definitely helps with increasing alertness, vigilance. It reduces your reaction time, improves your mood, definitely improves self-reported fatigue and sleepiness. And so it's, it's a fantastic tool to use strategically, especially if athletes are sleep deprived. But here's the problem with the caffeine intake. So caffeine takes about 20 to 25 minutes to take effect, but then its half-life is about five to six hours, which means that if you drink caffeine before your evening game, you know, six hours later, half of it is still in your system. And, you know, 10 to 12 hours later, one-fourth of it is still in your system, and that is going to prevent you from falling asleep. Now, so caffeine definitely disrupts your sleep. The most obvious effect, of course, is that it's going to make it harder for you to fall asleep. But then we now know that it actually can delay the timing of your body clock. And um, also, even if, it, even if you do fall asleep, your sleep will be lighter. Um, it can cause micro arousals and therefore reduce the amount of deep sleep that you're getting. And so you may wake up in the morning and not feel refreshed, but still not remember those awakenings. So you don't know why um, you're not feeling refreshed. A so, thousand percent. 
And so, so why is that? So why are there some times when these things are led into those things? Sorry, can you repeat that question? So, right, you're talking about the role of, of caffeine and bringing yes. things to being less refreshed. Now, something that has been thrown around recently is like yes. having a caffeinated beverage before a power nap. Yes. Um, and the role and effect of that as well. Right. So, so let's back up and talk about how caffeine works, right? So the function of caffeine is to block the sites in your brain where your sleepiness neurotransmitter gets attached. So very simply put, as the longer you stay awake, you have a neurotransmitter in your brain that accumulates. We know what it is. It's called adenosine. And adenosine you know, attaches to this site, these different sites in your brain and it causes sleepiness. What caffeine does is it blocks, it goes and attaches to that, uh, to the site and therefore blocks the effect of adenosine. Now, so when you drink caffeine, you will feel refreshed. You will have less fatigue. You will be sleepy. But it's only blocking the effect of sleepiness, not really treating the sleepiness. Because as you continue to remain awake, that wall of adenosine keeps building up, which is why when the caffeine wears off, you have this big wall that goes and attaches to your sleepiness receptors, and which is why you have that crash after that. Right. Yep. So, uh, so, uh, so, so that is why people are, you know, using caffeine and they're using it very, very regularly. Now, the the problem is that it's that not just does it, um, not just does it last longer, not, but also different people metabolize it differently. So some people may rapidly metabolize it. Others might take some time to metabolize it and it may last longer in their systems. The caffeine nap that you were talking about is actually a very effective way. So what happens is that you drink caffeine and then you go down to take a nap. Caffeine takes about 20 to maybe 30 minutes to take effect. By that time you wake up from the nap, you have you have refreshment and not just from the nap, but also now the caffeine is kicked in. So that's what a caffeinated nap is. And it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but you really have to time it really, really carefully. Yes. And then there's other things that these younger people like to dabble in at times uh, that can also hinder all of the effects of sleep. Oh, yes. So, you know, but, you know, just continuing on the caffeine theme, though, I... I, I do want to say a couple of other things. Number one is caffeine, you know, can increase your heart rate. It does increase your breathing rate. It can cause muscle tremors, etc. So, you know, your body's confused. And because all of these symptoms are also a symptoms of anxiety, you know, people say when they drink caffeine, it can make them more anxious. The other thing to remember is that Caffeine is present, it's really quite ubiquitous. It's present in energy drinks, in energy shots. It's present in the pre-game workout. It's present in the post-game workout. So it's, it's present and so freely available that sometimes players or athletes are really not aware of how much they're actually drinking. Right? 
Um, oh yeah, completely. Because it, they think that it's just a Red Bull, but they don't understand the, the quantity of caffeine in it. Right, right, right. And then I think I think you were alluding to um, was it the use of uh, electronic devices? Yeah, definitely. That's, right, right. So, well, you know, the lore of electronic devices, um, they definitely do intrude upon uh, one's sleep. I mean, I, you know, I tell people what happens is that all of us lead very, very busy lives. And so when we get back to our, you know, dormitories or um, yeah, our bedrooms, uh, we want, we, we feel we deserve to unwind and we do. And oftentimes this unwinding is in the form of either television or playing video games, etc. So, so the first thing, the, you know, sleep scientists and doctors will say they don't like these devices because the blue green light, which from these backlit um, LED uh, devices that will delay your um, sleep, your biological clock, because it actively suppresses melatonin. The second thing, of course, is that um, these activities, you know, they're not really, they aren't so much as relaxing as they are distracting. So rather than helping you relax, um, they tend to, they really tend to eat time. Um, you know, they're very interactive. Uh, it's, it's a rabbit hole, right? Nobody walks away from social media thinking they've spent less time. Uh, they are quite addicting. And so that will um, that will definitely interrupt uh, and take away from sleep time. Right, as will the effects of some more social substances that these young men and women get into. Oh yes, yes. I mean, um, you know, when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, things like alcohol, you know, alcohol. Uh, some people will say, and it does, it may help you fall asleep, but as it's metabolized at night, it will disrupt your sleep and fracture REM sleep. And it can do that repeatedly without you being aware of it. So actually is bad for your sleep. The other thing about alcohol is that alcohol, you know, when you first start to take it, will increase the amount of slow wave sleep you have, but will actively suppress the secretion of growth hormone. And then as time goes by, as you continue to drink alcohol, you'll develop tolerance to that effect of um, the slow wave that, that it, 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 you know, it, it will, you'll develop tolerance to the fact that it increases slow wave so sleep. So you're no longer having more slow wave sleep, but you don't develop tolerance to its, active suppression of growth hormone. So that's just one thing to remember. Um, and of course, uh, then there's uh, marijuana, which is uh, now quite uh, legal. And um, we, we can spend some time talking about that if you, if you have time right now. Yeah, let's run down that rabbit hole. Well, um, so, so to back up here, remember the marijuana plant, it has two separate components. Uh, one of them is THC, which is the psychoactive component. That really, that's the component that gives you the high. And then there are cannabinoids, right? So uh, we know now, you know, the latest, the latest re uh, reports that are coming out is that marijuana use is 
way, way more than nicotine, way more than alcohol. And uh, yes, there is there is some research about the therapeutic uses of marijuana, and it does help in, you know, in nausea, in helping weight gain, in chronic wasting of cancer or HIV or certain musculoskeletal diseases. But um, but all the many of the reasons that I hear athletes tell me why they use marijuana, it's really it doesn't doesn't uh, work. Like, for example, athletes will say they want to use it for pain management alternative to opioids. They want to use it as a potential neuroprotectant. I don't know if you've heard of it. They feel that, you know, even if their head gets hit, uh, smoking marijuana actually protects brain cells um, to ease psychological stress, for mood stability, for relaxing for patients, you know, for player safety, to be in the moment, for socialization. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but really, um, the re there's no research that supports any of this. But even more, you know, significantly, marijuana, like alcohol, significantly impairs judgment. It impairs motor coordination. It impairs your reaction times. And so, um, and we I, we know now that there are studies that show there's direct relationship between blood THC concentration, so which is the psychoactive part of marijuana, and impaired driving abilities. So definitely all of this will affect athletic performance. Um, you know, the other thing that I think I think athletes or generally people are not aware of is that that you can actually there there is actually a withdrawal that you can develop if you're using marijuana on a regular basis. And so if you stop using marijuana um, the withdrawal symptoms start within about a week, and they can carry on to about six to, to seven weeks. And the symptoms are irritability, anger, aggression, nervousness, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, decreased appetite, weight loss, um, you know, restlessness, depressed moods. And often when you see when patients, when players or athletes or people start smoking marijuana again, because they say, well, it's helping me. Uh, what they're doing is they're actually treating the symptoms of withdrawal, right? Because these are these are the same symptoms they say they, it helps with. It's it's like people using opioids to treat a tummy ache. Well, you know, the tummy ache is because you you were withdrawing from the opioids. So that's just something to um, to keep in mind. Right. And then I think another thing that's really become more of a uh, hot topic and, and buzzword is, is how people monitor sleep. So let's talk a little bit about these gadgets. Like, you know, what do they do and how do they, and do they even work? Well, so it really depends on what kind of gadget it is. If it's a gadget that is going on your wrist and or it's a gadget that's going on your bed or by your bedside and it's said it's measuring sleep. Well, the first thing is it's not measuring sleep. It's measuring movement. And from that movement, it infers whether you're, whether you're asleep or not. Um, do, does wearing a gadget help you fall asleep or sleep better? Um, you know, does, did the invention of the weight scale treat obesity? No, it didn't, right? It, it may be a good tool. So, the, you know, you want to back up and say, why are we using this gadget? If you're using this, this gadget to give you an approximation of how much time you're spending in bed, it'll do that. But to be honest, uh, 
Jay, you already know how much you're sleeping. You don't need a gadget to tell you how much you're sleeping, right? Uh, One would hope. <laughs> yes, would yeah. Hope. I mean, you, you, you're aware of it. You know, there are multiple reasons why people sleep less. Is it because... Is it because you, you know, you have a late night class and you didn't get to bed on time? Is it because you're a night owl and you couldn't fall asleep even though you got into bed on time? Is it because, um, you know, you have an extra job to do? Is it because you have anxiety and that's why you can't sleep? Is it because you drank too much caffeine? Now, until and unless the gadget can tell you why you're getting less sleep and what to do about it, uh, it's not going to help improve your sleep, right? And, you know, technology is moving at a very fast pace and there may be such a gadget that might come around in some time. And when it does, then we'll talk about it again. We'll review the findings and, and decide how accurate it is. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if it's not measuring what it says it's measuring, what is it actually measuring? Right, right, right. This this is true. Um, you know, it, there's also the matter of of privacy, right? Invasion of privacy. I mean, all of this data that has been collected, who owns this data? You know, what are they collecting? Uh, uh, who, do, who are they sharing this with? So these are just things you want to keep in mind. I mean, I think that if you want your athletes to get enough sleep, you want to start with education. I mean, uh, I tell athletes, Think of sleep as a circuit board with one switch. And if you if that one switch fails, then everything else is going to fail, is also going to break down. Like, you know, we know we know the lack of sleep affects all aspects of peak performance. Whether it's your reaction time, it makes you slower, it makes you less accurate, it affects your decision-making uh, abilities, it contributes to errors, it decreases the amount of growth hormone, uh, decreases the amount of testosterone, uh, you know, increases perceived effort, increases fatigue. And we, we can actually go down and, and talk about all these, all the ways that the lack of sleep can can impair performance the next day if you, if, um, if you want to. Let's run down that one, as, uh, and then we'll kind of get out of here on another question after that. But I'm really excited for you to, to dive into this. So let's okay. go. So, so I, you know, I like to think of, the way um, sleep affects athletic performance, I like to put them in four large bins. The first, of course, is you know your reaction time and accuracy. Uh, so the first reason why sleep is really important is because it's essential for a fast reaction time and for accuracy. Now, normal reaction time, if you get about eight hours of sleep, is about a quarter of a second. If, you, if instead of getting your eight hours, you get six hours, it doubles or triples. And, you know, that may not make much of a difference to you and I speaking right now, but can make all the difference between making a play or a goal or a touchdown. You know, success in sports nowadays is are measured in milliseconds and milli inches. But what's even more important is not just what happens to your reaction time or accuracy when you get less sleep one day before the game, but what happens when you get less sleep on a regular basis? Because the deficits in performance, they start to accumulate. And so it's it's really important to get enough sleep on a regular basis, leading all the way to the time of competition. Uh, you know, the other thing is that 
although although the deficits accumulate, if you get less sleep on a chronic basis, that that uh, that self awareness awareness about the fact that you're fatigued, you sort of lose it because you adapt to this chronic sleep deprivation and this becomes your new normal. But so that's the first large you know, area that sleep is important. The second is that you want sleep to play the intelligent game. So the lack of sleep will, you know, affects your mental performance. One of the first things that happens when you get less sleep is that your frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for good decision-making, good judgment, multitasking, it gets impaired preferentially while your emotional brain becomes overactive. So you're making decisions that may not be the very best for you, uh, you know, especially in time crunch situations like the play clock in the NFL. So, uh, so, so lack of sleep can contribute to personal fouls. And I like to think of these as errors of commission. So you know how we talked about your reaction time is impaired, your accuracy impaired, is impaired. Those are errors of omission. So, for example, if your reaction time is impaired, you are likely to throw the ball inaccurately, right? To the, you know, but if your judgment is impaired, you might inadvertently throw it to the wrong person. And of course, you need sleep for memory consolidation. So, all during the day, when you're gathering information, when you go to sleep at night, your sleep basically helps you hit that save button. And so, you know, consolidation of whatever you've learned during the day, whether, you know, all what your coach has briefed you, any lessons you've learned from watching film, all of that gets consolidated during your sleep. In fact, it's funny because one of the good signs of a good memory is all the extra pruning that happens during your deep sleep in which, you know, extra any extra or unnecessary information is pruned away. And of course, if you know, you know, and I'm sure you've you've experienced this, sleep is also really good for coming up with solutions. So if you while you're sleeping, your brain will put together new information with prior previously stored information and help solve puzzles and come up with solutions, which is why we have that saying, you know, sleep on a problem rather than eat on it. And then um, of course, sleep is really essential for emotional regulation. You know, this is like a bi-directional relationship. If you get enough sleep, you know, it's important for um, it, not getting enough sleep worsens anxiety, worsens depression. Being depressed or anxious will make sleep more difficult. And the third thing, of course, is we know that uh, getting less sleep increases injury risk. So, you know, in young athletes who report sleeping less than eight hours, uh, there was a study that showed that that itself increased the likelihood of them getting injured by 1.7 times. And actually sleeping more than eight hours um, was was associated with a reduction of uh, about 61% lower odds of getting injured, which, which sort of makes sense, right? Because if, you're, if your mean speed is reduced, if you're less accurate, if you're making poor decisions, then you're more likely to be injured. But then once you're injured, you need sleep for recovery. Because when you're sleep deprived, 
all the hormones that break down muscles increase while hormones that build muscle actually reduce. For example, your growth hormone is only secreted during deep sleep. Um, testosterone, is, is its secretion reduces if you get less sleep. So there's a study that, sh that looks at testosterone secretion in young men. And if you get a week of getting only five hours in bed, testosterone reduces as if they've aged about 11 years. So which would mean for a 20 year old player having the testosterone levels of somebody who's 31. And finally, um, you know, it's uh, sleep and nutrition interact quite a bit. So if you don't get enough sleep on a regular basis, you don't utilize glucose as efficiently. And, you know, you, it also makes you crave fatty carbohydrate rich foods rather than proteins and vegetables. So, um, yeah, so that I would say those are the, are the, you know, four large areas where sleep, getting adequate sleep is essential for athletic performance. four huge points, huge impacts for coaches to make sure that they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's on and helping their kids understand more. But speaking of understand more, Dr. Singh, where can people find out more about what you're doing, see what you're getting into, learn more about what you can do to help them as well? Well, I am, um, I'm active on Twitter. My Twitter at, uh, handle is athletesleepmd one um, I'm also on LinkedIn. It's Mita Singh MD. Um, I, I do have a website. It's MitaSingMD.com, which I, I don't always um, update regularly. But I, I do do quite a bit of public speaking. So, you know, in the last two, three years, I've actually I've spoken twice at the NFL Combine. I've spoken at the NBA um, uh, Combine to the athletic trainers. I spoke at the NHL annual meetings last year. I've spoken at the Major League Baseball annual meetings, the MIT Sloan conferences. Um, so I guess if you YouTube me, I'm sure uh, there'd be a couple of uh, talks that would be there. But if I may, I, I, I'd like to give just a couple of takeaway messages for the coaches and athletes. Yes, please. Okay, so the first is I, I really, three things are really important. First of all, to remember that Peak performance really is an output of a well-rested brain and body. The second is that to remember to be that to be excellent in any sport uh, or, or actually any field, you really have to draw upon discretionary energy and not just, you know, run-of-the-mill ordinary energy. And I, I know that I put my discretionary energy on things that I care about. Um, now, if you're not well rested, you don't have that reservoir of discretionary energy to draw upon. And research actually shows that people don't care as much when you don't get enough sleep. So if you want players who are motivated, you really want to, you know, you want to make sure they're well rested. Also, the third thing I'd say is that coaches are, especially, you know, strength and conditioning performance coaches, they're always looking to see what small limiting factor they can change to make performance better. Well, you spend a third of your life sleeping. You know, that's about eight hours during the day. If you can make a change in your sleep at night, that will really make a diff big difference to your performance the next day. thousand percent, Doc. Can't thank you enough for your... Hey, Dr. Singh, this is absolutely sensational. 
Okay. Um, thank you for having me on. Yes, ma'am. Well, we look forward to speaking again soon. Uh, people are going to love this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All righty. And a huge thanks to Dr. Mita Singh for spending the time with us today. Guys, you know, again, like sleep is such a powerful performance enhancer. We all talk about it. We all try to help our athletes with it. And, and Dr. Singh really gives some big time key points and things for us to think about. Just the idea of the natural clock with the athletes that are in the age range that we work with really has to make you think about your timing and programming and things of that nature when it comes to setting schedules and that sort of thing. Now, I realize that there are times where you can't get around having to go early in the morning, but just some things, some food for thought. I can't thank Dr. Singh for spending the time with us enough today and being so open, honest, and candid with her sharing. Make sure you're giving her a follow at Athlete Sleep MD on Twitter. Um, guys, she's sharing great content as well. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.